this morning, maybe 3, 4 a.m., I woke up and I had this crazy dream. It was chaotic. And at first I thought, oh, it's the pizza I ate last night. Then I realized, no, I'm not eating pizza now. Definitely wasn't the diet. There was nothing that came into my body that caused this erratic, crazy dream. And how many of you have just weird dreams? It's like, that doesn't make sense. Those events don't make sense. This was like on another level. This was stuff from different areas and, and different. It was chaotic. It was like, I'm over here in a moment with rats running around and then I'm like over here on the beach and then there's somewhere else then I'm in an office block and then there's like this and that and I woke up and I said half jokingly to the Lord what is all that about and he said many people are li living in confusion and today that's breaking off and so if you're living in a state of confusion I believe would you just stand this morning I want to pray for you pray over you I believe the Lord is going to want to break things off people's life this morning. Maybe there's just events. It wasn't bad things in the dream. It was just confusion. And there was things that were going on. It was just like, hey, this is a season of crazy, crazy confusion. If that's you, why don't you stand with these other people this morning? Would you just stretch forth your hands to them? Lord, we just thank you for the season that you have us in. And I just pray for every single person standing right now. We just thank you for clarity to come into their situations. Lord, we rebuke confusion. Lord, we rebuke the enemy that would want to come and sow discord and confusion and chaos. And we speak now in the name of Jesus, clarity, um, clear uh, pathways ahead in the name of Jesus, that this would be a defining moment today on Father's Day, that they would look back and say, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden I'm stepping out of chaos into clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day. I hope everyone's doing well. Um, this morning, actually a few days ago, my oldest son, Thomas, who's uh, seven years old, he came to me and he said, Dad, you and me are going to celebrate Father's Day on Sunday. And I said, oh, really, you and me? He said, yeah. He says, I said, I, th I think Father's Day is meant to just be for, for fathers. And he said, well, me and a few of my mates at school were talking about this. And he goes, um, well, I've got a mustache. And so that means that I can be part of Father's Day. And I said, oh, really? And so I think he found that he's found a microscopic hair on his lip. And so he's, he's now put himself in that category. And he came in this morning excited about what presents I'd bought for him. So but like Carol and Rachel have said, it's incredible to be part of a family with strong, amazing fathers in this house and multi-generation and we thank God for that. This morning I want to look a little bit around Father's Day and just reflect on our Heavenly Father. Um, how many know that right now, whatever level in our lives that we have of God... We're literally only scratching the surface of His love. 
during worship, I started to have this thought, I believe, from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you're literally only scratching the tip of the tip of the iceberg of His love. If we actually fully understood how deep His love was, we would all be radically different. That's no shame on anyone about your growth in God. You might come in here and be like, hey, I'm killing giants. I'm doing incredible things. I would still propose that if you got a deeper understanding of His love, you'd be radically different. I would be radically different. In Ephesians chapter 3, there's this verse here. It says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This verse blows my mind. The design of God for us is that we be filled to the measure of God. How many, how many people would say they're full? Or how many people would say they're still, we still haven't grasped the full extent of His love? And this morning I hope as we look at Scripture that we're going to go a little bit deeper into the love of God. Because that is the main issue, is the love of God. Out of all the things that we do, we say, we think about, we meditate on, the real crux of the issue is the ability to be in love with Jesus. If you can turn to Luke chapter 15, this is where we're going to spend our time this morning, Luke chapter 15. We're going to start with verse 11 and read down. It says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he, be and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. It's a bad day when the pigs even reject you. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. 
For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the other son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, came home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This once again is a, is a story that even if you're not familiar with church, you would have heard of the saying, a prodigal son. And sometimes familiar passages like this, we, 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 we sometimes need to take another look and actually not become so familiar with them that we lose the impact of them in our lives. Here we have a story about a, a story that Jesus told to represent the heart of the Father, the heart of God. Here Jesus tells this story about this father who, after one of his sons has gone off and spent his share of the inheritance, comes home and the father sees him in the distance and starts to run towards him. Not out of anger, but out of love and compassion, like Brenton shared this morning. And when we hear about this story about this father who is running, we think, what's the big deal? But I'd like to tell you that when Jesus said the father was running, this was crazy because in that time, fathers didn't run. It wasn't because fathers were unfit. It wasn't because fathers had got to that point where it's like, hey, I just don't run anymore. That's a childish thing. But back in this culture... In the Middle East and Palestinian culture 2,000 years ago, fathers didn't run for one reason. Because if they were to run, they would have to get their robe, tuck it into their belt and expose their legs. Now today, it's like, there's no big deal. I could get up here in board shorts and... Maybe a few of you might say something, but me exposing my, my, my legs in 2023 is not a big deal. But 2,000 years ago, in this Middle Eastern culture, a Jewish father exposing his legs was a big deal. It was, it was embarrassing, it was disrespectful. Not only for the father and his family, but for the whole village. 
for this man, this father to be running through the village with his robe hoiked up, exposing, let's call it what it is, extremely white legs. Whiter than mine. That hadn't seen the sun for quite time was a cultural no-no. And once again, as we're reading this passage, it, it's sort of humorous because we, we, we don't actually understand the cultural issue here. But I want to say this morning, this was something that was never done. A father would never expose his legs like this in this context. But this one day, there was something that came over him that trumped his embarrassment, that overrode his, the disrespect, and that was the love for his son. And that morning or that day when he saw his son coming in the distance, there was something in his mind that says, hey, I'm going to leave this value system of respect I'm going to leave all these things that are so important to me, my comfort, my, my, my social standing, and I'm going to start to run because I want to embrace a son that has now come back. Once again, this story clearly shows us the heart of the father. The father's thought process is, today I don't care less about what people think. I want to restore my son. And maybe even as I've been speaking, once again through our Western thought processes, we're thinking about a father who's living in a house, who has a nice big deck out the front, who's enjoying the summer weather and... Off the deck, there's a driveway that goes up to an electric gate with CCTV cameras. And in our minds, we're thinking, okay, the father's sitting there on the deck. And all of a sudden, his wife yells out, hey, Barry's home. I can see him on the CCTV cameras. He goes, oh, gets off the deck and starts running. That's our thought process because we live in a Western culture. Culture. But I'd like to propose this morning that it was very different. In Jesus' time, people lived in community. They lived in community. Everywhere where people lived was involved in community, was community engagement. Once again, the Middle Eastern context here is the fact that they weren't living in isolated homes, but they were living in a village, in a community, with potentially a common gate. And scholars tell us, it isn't actually in the text here, but scholars tell us that there was a very significant thing that was going on in this story. And I, I want to share a little bit because I think it gives us an insight into this story in the heart of the Father. There was a, scholars tell us that there's a Jewish ceremony called a kisa. 
Just stay with me for a while. Kisa. And this ceremony would happen for two reasons. Number one, a young Jewish boy would marry someone that the family didn't agree with. Or number two, a Jewish boy would lose his inheritance to a Gentile. And what would happen is if any of these circumstances had happened with a young Jewish boy, whether he had married someone without the family's permission or he had blown his inheritance, if he wanted to come back into the family home, there was a ceremony outside the village gates called a kisa. And this kisa was a group of the community elders that would get together and they would hear the plea of, of the young man and they would make, uh, make a decision about whether he could come back into the village, the home, the family, or whether he had to leave and be abandoned forever. Are you following along? Like I said, this was called a kisar and it was a, a group of the elders from the community. The interesting thing about this ceremony, this Jewish ceremony, is that the father was not allowed to attend. The mother could go and plead the son's case, but the father was not allowed to attend. He had to stay home. The reason why the father was not allowed to attend is because a father's blessing actually trumped or overrode a community decision. And so we have this scenario here where the elders would hear the boy's fate, uh, would hear, hear what was going on, they would decide their fate, and if they decided that Kisa was coming, which actually means to be cut off, they would take a clay pot, throw it down, smash it on the ground at the boy's feet, which actually meant that he was now cut off. cut off from the community forever. So coming back to this story in Luke 15, it gives us context about what the boy was coming home to. When the boy was going along this journey, when he's come from a foreign land, he's coming home to the father. He's not just coming home to engage with the father, to face the father. Before he can even face his father, he's coming home to a group of elders, this ceremony called the Kisa. Knowing this Jewish ceremony was going to unfold at some point, now let's think about from the father's point of view. Here he was every day, looking for restoration, hoping that his son that was lost would come over the horizon and come home. And here we get a picture of the father. We see the father sitting there watching day after day after day, waiting for that moment when he would see his son in the horizon. And as we know the story, all of a sudden that day came where the son decided to return home and it's no surprise that the father spotted him before the elders did. It's no surprise because 
To the father, it was his son. To the elders, it was a verdict. And the father spots him way outside the village gates and sees this young man coming on the horizon. And he starts to run. He starts to run. This father who is full of compassion and love starts to run to see this, his son who has been a wayward, who has been away from him and he comes to embrace him in restoration and love. You see, it's important that the father gets to the son before the son gets to Kisa, before the son gets to the, the village elders. And the, son, and the father ran and he embraced the son and all of a sudden we know the story where the son says, hey, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, just let me be one of your employees. And straight away outside the village gates, What does the father do? He gets his best robe. He puts it on his shoulders. He embraces him. He kisses him. He hugs him. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts shoes on his feet. And this is how they entered back into the village with the father's arm around the son. The robe said to everybody around there, said he's royalty. He's back in the family. The ring said he's got authority. And the shoes said, hey, he's prepared. He has an upstanding in this community. And as the father walked with his son, with his hand over his shoulder, he walked back through the community of elders, back into a celebration and a party. Could I just have the worship team to come up? I just believe that such a simple story and such a familiar parable, it just so highlights the heart of the Father. We see here that the, the Father's acceptance trumped the Keese's verdict. You can just imagine the father coming through the village saying, hey, celebrating the fact that this is my son. He was once lost. He's now found. He was once dead. He's now alive. And on Father's Day as we celebrate today, we can't miss the opportunity to return back to the, the, the heart of our Heavenly Father. It's never changed. His heart for us has never changed. And there's so many lessons and so many things we can learn out of this parable. But I believe the most profound thing by far is just the love of the Father.
that when there was disgrace, when there was an embarrassment, the father pushed through that and he ran. When there was a potential verdict that would see the father and the son no longer in relationship, there was a heart of the father that trumped that. And the heart of the Father for us today is exactly the same. And in a moment, we're going to sing this song called Reckless Love. And I want you to engage with the eyes of a perfect father the heart of a perfect father this morning. Is it possible that five minutes looking into his eyes could change the rest of your life? I believe it can. It's changed my life. It is changing my life. Because when we encounter Him, nothing else matters. When we encounter Him, everything changes. And you may be sitting here and thinking, well, that's not been my story. I'd say, well, hey, just dig a little deeper. Just be like this prodigal son who took one step, those slow steps to home. And what did the father do? He came running. He came sprinting. This story is not so much about the son trying to get to the father, but more the fact that the father does everything to get to the son. This whole story is about grace. This whole story is about forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And oftentimes we embrace this and at, at, at our salvation. But He wants us to live in this continually. He wants us never to depart of Luke 15, the heart of the Father for us. In verse 1 of Luke 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them another parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. We're going to sing this song, Reckless Love, in a moment. 
And as we're singing this song, I want to invite you if maybe you want to come down the front, maybe you want to step in an aisle, maybe you just want to sit quietly in your seat, maybe you want to stand, maybe you want to kneel. But what I encourage you this morning on this Father's Day is to reconcile back with the, our Heavenly Father. For a few moments, we're going to allow Him to love us. Because if we truly knew the depth of His love, there would be nothing impossible. The guy who wrote this song, Reckless Love, his name's Corey Ashbury. And he wrote what I'm about to read out, a bit of the behind the scenes of, the, of this song. I'm just going to read this out and then we're going to go into this song. It says, when we use the phrase, the reckless love of God, we are not saying that God himself is reckless. He's not crazy. We are, however, saying that the way he loves in many regards is quite so. He's utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his own actions with regard to his own safety, comfort, and well-being. His love isn't crafty or slick. It's not cunning or shrewd. In fact, all things considered, it's rather childlike and might I suggest sometimes downright ridiculous. His love bankrupt heaven for you and for me. His love doesn't consider himself first. It, doesn't, it isn't selfish or self-serving. He doesn't wonder what he'll gain or lose before putting himself on the line. He simply puts himself out there on the off chance that you and I might give him that love in return. His love leaves the 99 to find the one every time. To many practical adults, that's a foolish concept. But what if he loses the 99 in finding the one? What if? What if? Finding that one lost sheep will always be supremely important. His love isn't cautious. It's a love that sent his own son to die a gruesome death on a cross. There's no plan B with the love of God. He gives his heart so completely again and again and again and again. Make no mistake, our sins do pain his heart. And 70 times 7 is a lot of times to get your heart broken. And yet he opens up and allows us in every single time. 
His love saw you when you hated him. And when a logic said they'll regret me, he said, I don't care what it costs me as long as I get their hearts. So make it personal. His love saw me, a broken down kid with regret as deep as the ocean. My innocence in youth poured out like water, but he found me. He put me on his shoulders and he carried me home because he's just that good.